morning, Grace. And uh, whether you're watching us uh, online or here, we're thrilled you're here. And um, just uh, so thankful to be able to gather together in the freedom that we have and in the Lord. And uh, I know for many of you, you probably watched college football yesterday. I just want to let you know that my team won a half. <laughs> if the game ended at halftime, we were good. We hadn't won a half in so long. I mean, I was just thrilled about winning a half, right? Then I had one of the elders text me with the scoreboard, just you know, showing me what was going on. And then right after he sent me that picture of seven to five, next thing I knew is twenty-seven to five. So it's great to be with all of you today, and uh, we come to worship the Lord. As you saw on the screen, as you were watching that video, uh, He alone reigns, and uh, one day we get to share in that, and we're gonna walk through uh, this passage in 2 Timothy. It's hard to imagine that, but um, we get to be with the Lord forever. And uh, what a blessing that is to know. And it is good to remember that we're just pilgrims passing through. And uh, we do have a hope. The Bible tells us in Philippians that our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. I trust that's true for you, that you know that you belong up to the Lord today. We have uh, Phil Hansen's going to come now and remember here at Grace, and he's got an announcement that he needs uh, to make. Phil? I heard a about a survey the other day. And your quiz this morning is this. How many people, what percentage of people like to fundraise? I said 3%. The answer is a zero. Just so you know. Most of you know I am involved with Save a Life Shelby, Shelby County. And we have an opportunity this year to do something that has been done at other uh, locations around and has been quite successful. I don't know how many of you in here like to shoot clay pigeons, but there is an opportunity to do that. And there's an opportunity at Purcell Farms in Sylacauga to shoot clay pigeons on October the 17th. That's a Saturday. It being the fundraiser, the main fundraiser for Save a Life Shelby, we are asking that those who want to shoot clay pigeons come up with $1,000 each. You go, wow, $1,000? I can't even come up with $1,000 in a year, much less between now and October 17th. There is a way. There is a way. Some of you, I'm sure, in the past has been involved in things like walkathons, such as that, where you get people to pledge so much per mile that you walk or whatever the, the occasion is, and people will pledge money for that. There is a way that you can raise money to shoot clay pigeons in that way. The experts have found that the most effective way in our society today to contact people to help you raise money is through texting. Believe it or not, that is the way that most 
effective people raise the money. We have a, a system that has been developed where if you want to participate, we ask that you do a couple of things and that you text people to ask them to contribute toward this ministry, and it helps you get there. We say we are expecting $1,000 a person. 500 is the minimum that we're looking at per person. You say, well, I don't shoot clay pigeons. You can boil them, and they still don't taste any good. Do you play golf? If any of you have ever been down to Purcell Farms, I have driven by it. It is gorgeous in Sylacauga. It is immaculate. There are many corporations that have their corporate meetings down there. They have cabins, lodges, all this stuff. I mean, it is just fabulous. A few people here I know have played. Unfortunately, I won't get to play. I'll be working. I'll be cooking and working and serving and doing the things that have to be done there. So I won't get to play this time, but I sure would love to. So those who don't want to shoot clay pigeons can golf that afternoon. The same thing, we ask that you come up with the minimum of a 500 with your goal being set at 1,000. And you say, well, why are you doing it this way and, and, and why not just ask for contributions? It is really the most effective way. Like I said, there's been other locations that have done it and have raised tremendous amounts of money to fund Save a Life through the year. And so that's what we're looking to do uh, with this particular occasion. If you want more information, I would ask that you send me a text. I'll give you my phone number. You can send me a text, or you can call me, or you can run me down somewhere. But uh, And I will email you the packet. And it, what it will show you is the particulars of the event. It will also give you a suggestion about a method, about how you go about texting people and asking them to support this ministry. Not to support you, but to support this ministry because it is a very vital ministry in our area here. So if you are interested and don't have my, my cell number, I'll give it to you right now. Hopefully you'll have a pencil and paper. You can write it down. You can text me. It is 205-821-7780. And all you have to do is just text me and say, with your email address, say, hey, I'd like to see the packet. I'll email the packet to you. It's, I won't charge you for emailing the packet, okay? That part's free. If you look at it and you say, no, I can't do this, uh, maybe next time. If you are part of a large corporation, uh, I know that I have connection with several corporations in town that I have scheduled to present with this to them this coming week. And there are corporate package, packages that I can send to a corporation that gives them particular things. And actually, it ends up with them being able to use it as advertising Funds. It comes out of their advertising funds budget because they get advertising in particular places on billboards and such through Save a Life. And so it enables a corporation, rather than asking a corporate to donate to the charity, which they have a small, may have a small amount of funds for, they may have a larger amount of funds set aside for their advertising budget where they can use it for advertising and they get advertising um, benefit from that. Like I said, just contact me, 
let me know that you're interested. I'll email you the packages and uh, go from there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Phil. And we obviously uh, support and appreciate uh, Save a Life Ministries, whether it's here in Jefferson County or Shelby County. Uh, we have to remember the big picture here is uh, we want to save lives, and part of that is being able to contribute to these fundraisers. And I told them first service I won't be shooting clay pigeons. I just won't be doing that for a lot of reasons. And um, one of them is I'm not sure how to do that anyway. And I don't have a gun that would do that. And I love to play golf, so I'm going to be playing the golf part. And if you are kind of questioning whether to play the golf part, that course is unbelievable. It's the course that will be in heaven for sure. Um, so I encourage you to support that ministry. It's a wonderful ministry. And uh, we appreciate all those, I said first service, we appreciate all those that labor in Save a Life. That uh, all the ladies who provide counseling, and uh, Phil, we thank you for your for your ministry uh, in Shelby County. I wanted to begin this morning reading some scripture. I'd like you to turn to the Book of Romans, and we will begin in verse twenty-five of chapter four, and we will read down through verse eleven of chapter five. Um, if you've never read Romans, I can't imagine that that has not taking place in the life of a Christian. Read it and read it and read it and reread it and keep reading it. It's just a wonderful letter. Um, I would like for you to stand as we read these verses together. Verse 25 of chapter 4. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification... Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that we can have peace with God? That only happens because of Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we read a passage like Romans 5, and we're just simply amazed. Amazed that the demonstration of your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made and provided the way to be able to have fellowship with the Father, which is an amazing, amazing thought. And there's only one way, and that's through Christ. And so if there are any here today who may not have a relationship with you, Father, through Christ, can I pray this morning that they would come to know you as their Savior. They would come to know Jesus Christ has paid it all. And as the song says, and all to him we owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, we can't thank you enough for dying in our place. May we live today to your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody standing, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, Let's uh, magnify the Lord. We're going to exalt him. We're going to glorify him because you saw a video a few minutes ago, and it uh, it listed so many attributes of God. Uh, however, in about a minute and a half video, you still can't even touch all that God is. But today we want to come and worship Him. Before we start, I'd like for us to recite some scripture together uh, before we just really honor Him. Let's sing this, uh, let's uh, say this together, may we? Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. And we also want to magnify, and let's say this together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. 
God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's all be seated. The group up here, the worship team, uh, is going to sing a song for you. And it is a, it's a, it's really a great song. It's Behold Our God. As we're singing and honoring and exalting him and praising him. Let's uh, look at the words of this. And if you know the song, sing along with us. Behold Our God.
Well, they had the same response first service. Uh, you just can't help but celebrate when you sing something like that, Behold Our God, seated on His throne. And um, He'll always be on His throne and forever and ever. And one day you and I get to be in His presence. Take your Bibles and go to Second Timothy chapter 2. You remember Second Timothy? I know you do. We were off Second Timothy for a few weeks as we were giving attention to another series that I had been asked to consider by the elders, and I faithfully discharged that and even added to what they gave me to do. Um, but this morning we're back in Second Timothy chapter 2, and we're in a section of Scripture that demands that we not only read it and not only study it, but it demands that we memorize it and meditate on it. I think it's that critical. When our boys were young, younger than they are now, and they were at home, we would take trips in the summertime, and we would try to go to a baseball park. We ended up at Camden Yards. How many of you know where Camden Yards is? It's in Baltimore, Maryland, just in case you did not know. In Baltimore, Maryland, and we went to watch the New York Yankees. We were not there to watch the Baltimore Orioles. Why would anyone go watch the Baltimore Orioles? We were there to watch the New York Yankees, of which that is the one team in our family that we agree on. We are divided in other areas. By the way, my team, like I told you, they won half the game yesterday. They just lost the most important part, the second half. But we were at Camden Yards, and the person that was singing the national anthem forgot the words about halfway through the song. Have you ever been to a ball game where someone has attempted to sing the national anthem and it didn't go well? They just forgot the words, or they used other words, and you were like, hold on a second. I don't think that's how that goes. That ever happened to you? Um, how many of you know the words to the national anthem? Word for word. You're going to get up here and sing it. How many of you know the Pledge of Allegiance? You remember when you studied that when you were a kid and you memorized that? and You gave attention to it and you can, even right now, stand up and recite the pledge. You know, those are two different things that we do as Americans. I think it, somehow they're being forgotten. Would you agree with that? Certainly not being taught. I would say that this morning we come to certainly an anthem that was maybe sung by the early church. Certainly, I believe these words were memorized by the early church. Because they are significant words. They are words that demand our attention. And I have given much attention to these words. I have done my homework. I don't know how you're going to hear it, but I hope that it's something that you'll be able to walk away with and say, you know, this is something I truly do need to consider beyond an 11 o'clock hour at grace. 
but it's something that I need to consider on a regular basis. In fact, I would say it is a statement that for the church is absolutely imperative to just know all the ins and outs of it. I'm one, I told the folks first service, I just can't skip things. God did not build me to skip a verse or skip a phrase. He just didn't make me like that. I don't know how that works for you if you're like, man, that's still in that verse. I have to be honest with you, I don't much care how that works for you. I have a responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. And if you remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, he says, I did not fail to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I gave it all to you. I mean, who has permission to skip things? We don't. We don't have permission. This morning, I want to talk about, in our introduction, what is reliable and unforgettable. That's how I've kind of titled this section, Reliable and Unforgettable. It's reliable because it's what God has said to us. And I think it's just unforgettable. When you come to understand exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy, it'll be something for you that'll be very refreshing. Now remember, in the context of the passage where Paul is, where is Paul? At the Holiday Inn Express? No, he's not. He's in a dungeon. And he's awaiting to be beheaded. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Paul? You know what's so cool? The Lord wasn't done with him. He was penning words to a young man who was his student, who he loved dearly. In fact, the Bible says in Timothy that he was a true child in the faith. He belonged to the Lord. Which demands the question, do you belong to the Lord today? Do you know that you know that you know Christ? Truly, as it relates to eternity, nothing else matters. Nothing else. Young people, listen to me. The world's going to throw all kinds of things your way, and it's going to look glamorous and great and wonderful, and you're going to be like, whoa, I just can't do without this. You really can do without it, but you can't do without Christ. Because if you leave this life without Christ as your Savior, you'll spend an eternity apart from Christ in a real place called hell. Serious. I think sometimes, especially in our culture today, we think we've got everything wrapped up. Everything's good. We've got it tied in a neat bow. I'm just fine. I don't need anyone or anything. And that's a lie. Every person in this room, myself foremost, needs Christ. I needed him as my Savior, and I need him every day of my life. And you know what this section is about? Paul's telling Timothy, you need him every day of your life. Whatever that might look like. Well, I want us to go through the text itself and read it. And then I'm going to go over a few things with you. I'm going to give you what the Lord has given me for this morning. Notice verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we'll start. He says, For this reason I endure all things. 
for the reason that the word of God is never imprisoned. That's the reason. That's what he says previous to that. The word of God is never imprisoned. It's never in jail, so to speak. Paul was, but the word's not. For this reason, Paul says, I endure all things. For the sake of those who are chosen, we will come back to that word endure, but let me give you the meaning of it. It means to be under hardship. It means suffering. It relates to one who's suffering for the gospel. Did you hear what I just said? It relates to someone suffering for the gospel, for the truth. There are a lot of things we call suffering, but in this context, in this passage, Paul is writing about hardship as it relates to suffering for Christ. Okay? We, there is no doubt we could point to suffering that takes place in the world, but this is very pointed. Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, those who will come to Christ, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. And notice that preposition there, in Christ Jesus. Salvation is found only where? In Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the what? The way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man. No one's going to stand before the Father and say, I deserve to be here. It doesn't work that way. No man comes to the Father but through who? But through me. That's what he said to his disciples, interestingly enough. (laughs) And then... The last part of that verse says that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Wrap your mind around that. Because at salvation we are saved from the penalty of sin. In this life we can be delivered or saved from the power of sin. Did you know one day we are going to be delivered from the presence of sin? Woo! Think about that. No more suffering, no more sin. Can you fathom that? Answer, no. All we've known is what? Look around us. Listen to me, this is off message somewhat. We live in a very, very, very messy world. A very, very, very sinful world. People need Christ. Franklin Graham yesterday had that march in D.C. Praying for the nation. Listen to me, parents. The greatest introduction that you can give your children is an introduction to Christ and the gospel. I don't know any Christian parent that doesn't want his kids with them in heaven. Never met a Christian parent that doesn't want that. That doesn't exist if you know Christ. Young people, listen to me. If you're tired of hearing it from your parents, you'll grow weary of hearing it from me because I'm going to tell you over and over again. You need Christ. You need Christ. Next statement, look at this. It is a trustworthy statement. We'll come back to that phrase in just a few minutes. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. 
if we deny him, he also will deny us. I want to make just a brief comment about that. I won't get to that today. In the context of the passage, he is writing to a Christian man whose name is Timothy. This statement that he makes is for that Christian man. So when it says, if we deny him, he will also deny us, he's talking to a believer. That's very important to understand. If all of a sudden you believe, well, he's been talking about the believer until verse 3, you're going to mess up the text. You're going to mess up the message. You're going to mess up the context. And as you're going to see here in this passage, that pronoun usage of Paul's is very important. Young people, listen to me. You love pronouns, right? You love pronouns. They're very important. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Can we pray? We need to. Lord, there's so much here to think through. Please help all of us, myself first, to be very attentive to what's being said today. Help us to hear well what your word declares in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to I give you some observations. You cannot hope to parse this text correctly unless you know these things. I'm just being honest with you. If you came to it and you go, oh yeah, I know what it means, probably not. Because you have to do your homework. And I want to tell you something. I've done my homework. And so I expect you to do some homework too. I'll tell you along the way where I expect you to do your homework. You see, learning about the Lord, that's your responsibility too. You good with that? It's not all on me. I'm going to do a lot of homework for you, but you're responsible to learn it yourself. Here are some opening observations. In the context, it appears Paul is encouraging Timothy to endurance. Look at verse 10. He talks about the issue of endurance. Okay? And even gives testimony to the fact that he himself was enduring for the sake of the chosen. He was running. In other words, this is how it translates for us. He's running the race to the end. And he's almost at the end of the race. But he's not quitting. He's not giving up. He's doing exactly what the Lord wants him to do. Now, that's a very key point. Doing exactly what the Lord wants him to do. That will come into play later on in the text. Second observation from this passage is that Paul had faithfully already taught Timothy that the ability to endure, now remember that's to remain under hardship, pressure, suffering, was only found in the grace of the Lord. You are not going to endure in this life through your own abilities and own energies. Do you understand that? It's not going to happen. I've been with people in crucial times, non-believers, and they've literally done this. We can do it. We can do it. They can't do it. But you know the believer can. How does the believer endure hardship? You go, man, I don't know if that's a good question. It's right there. It's right there in chapter 2, verse 1. Because there were some that weren't running really well. In chapter 1, he gives example of. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, "And It's like, you therefore, my son. It's like that sign, Uncle Sam wants you. Right? I mean, that, that you just stands out. And Paul says to Timothy, You, however, you therefore, my son, 
be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know what that word grace means? It means unmerited favor. It's the favor of the Lord in our lives. You say, Thad, what are you talking about? Well, that's how we're saved. We're saved by grace, by the favor of the Lord in our lives. And do you know how we live? Class, by grace. By grace. We endure hardship by grace, by the strength that we find in Christ. That's how we endure hardship. Yeah, but I can do it on my own. No, you can't. You will not do it. My mom went to be with the Lord almost, let's see, five, almost five, well, a little over five years ago. That's, a, that's unbelievable to believe. Five years ago, she went to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget those final moments, two or three days with her. And I love my mom. I mean, she's my spirit, one of my spiritual heroes, if not the spiritual hero the Lord gave me. Godly, godly, godly woman. I miss my mom. But I remember being with my mom in those last little bits. And I'm like, man, Lord, I am so thankful that she is about to be with you. And you know how the Lord got me through it? Moment by moment. When people die that we love, that are believers, we long for their presence. We just want to see them. It's just the truth. I remember I didn't tell this story first. Service. I remember riding around with my grandmother one time. My mom's mom, and I used to take her to look at Christmas lights at, at Christmas time, and she loved doing that. And we're driving home one day, and, and she's just crying. It's just being her in the car. I'm like, oh, no, what do you do? I mean, what do you say? You know, I'm just always the person that has to say, what's wrong with you? I, I put my foot in my mouth a lot in my life. Bunch, big old foot into mouth. And I just felt like I felt compelled. I had to ask her what was wrong. And she said, you know, that every once in a while you just want to tell your mama something. And I thought, really? I couldn't identify, but you know what? I can now. And do you know one day I'll be able to see my mom? But do you know who got me through those moments? The Lord. So much so that when they came to get the body, right, at my house, um, they did what they needed to do, and, and the guy says, hey, do you want me to get somebody else to help me? And I'm like, no, I don't. I carry the body out just like anybody else. And he's like, well, some people just can't do that. I said, listen to me. I told him, well, it was just a great time. I said, listen to me. She's not there. My mom's with the Lord. See, God can get us through those moments, guys. And you've probably all, if we had testimony time, you could stand up and say, man, Lord, you got me through this. So Paul told Timothy, listen, you want to endure, you need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ. And so he had taught him how to endure. Third observation. I want you to look down at your scriptures, okay? This is the fourth time the phrase trustworthy statement appears in the pastoral epistles. There is a fifth time, and it's in the book of Titus. Do you know what the pastoral epistles are? First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. You're like, that. how important is this? Very important. I thought about it. Why does this statement just appear in the pastoral epistles? And I got to thinking, well, who needs the encouragement to stay the course and endure? Pastors do. 
don't they? I thought, how appropriate it is that the Lord would provide five statements to encourage pastors, to encourage teachers. That's just a thought that I had. The first appearance of this particular statement is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, it is a trustworthy statement or faithful the word. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Isn't it interesting how Paul doesn't just point the finger and go, you, 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 you. He says, me, I am. One of the things that the Lord has revealed to me, as I study the Lord's word, I'm thankful for grace. But boy, I, I just come to realize, man, I'm a really ugly person in my flesh. Pathetic, actually. Pitiful. So we're thankful for grace. We're thankful for salvation. He says here, it's a trustworthy statement, faithful to the word, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Guys, we were hopeless and helpless without Christ. He paid it all. Right? He paid the debt that none of us in this room, no one who's ever lived, pay. He paid that debt. Don't ever forget that. Well, you're going to see the importance of this in just a minute. The word trustworthy appears first in the sentence emphasizing the reliability of what is being said. That's why I entitled this sermon partly reliable. It reads really this way in the Greek. So where in your translation it has this It is a trustworthy statement. In the Greek, it's just three words. That's it. Pistos halogos. All right? Say that with me. Pistos. You can say it. Pistos halogos. You're like, that. where'd you get the ha? You see, um, see that little breathing mark right there? That makes an H sound. Now say it. Pistos halogos. All right, so where you have, in your translations, it is a trustworthy statement, it really, in the original language, is just three words, and that's just just an article there. So it reads this way, faithful the word. Now, if you just have to have a verb there, put is there. Faithful is the word, and the word is faithful. True? It is true, okay? Faithful the word. So when you look at that, you're going, hey, faithful the word. Yeah. Hold on a second. This is not just any ordinary statement. Faithful the word. And that's the way he starts out in verse 11. Faithful the word. And then he gives us bam, 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 bam. So it's not like we look at this and go, well, I'm not sure. No, no, no. Paul's telling Timothy. And remember where Paul is. And remember what he wants Timothy to do. He wants Timothy to endure. Okay? You have to keep that in mind. And so what's going to help Timothy endure? Truth. Truth will. Truth will help you endure. Okay? And so that's what he gives to him in this statement that he makes as we're going to break it down uh, together. So faithful the word. So when you get to that section of Scripture and you look up those other occurrences, every single one of them have that faithful the word. Every single one of them. Okay? And that's very, very important as you would do more study in your spare time. This afternoon, you can do that. 
whenever you're eating whatever it is you're eating, all right? Hamburgers, hot dogs. I like hot dogs, but I need some chili and I don't want onions. All right, so that's the way it reads is faithful the word. So he's about to tell us about this truth, all right? The sixth observation from this text is the author is careful. Now, who is the author, class? Paul, okay? Paul is the author. The author is careful to put himself in the equation along with Timothy. You say, well, how do you know that? I want to show you this. I didn't do this first service. Look at this. Look at these pronouns. For if who? We. 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 Us. We. Okay, you see all that? Those are important. You would just skip over them. I mean, some people would come to that. How important is that? Very important. Because he's writing about believers. When you get to this part here, people want to change the course and go, oh, no, he's talking about an unbeliever. No, he's not. What does Paul do? He includes himself in the equation. And the question becomes this. Have you ever denied the Lord? Now, careful the way you answer that. Okay? Because some people would say, well, no, if you're a true believer, you would never deny the Lord. Huh. You're going to find out as we study that word. We've all done it at some point, even the Apostle Paul, and that's why he puts it in there. Okay? So th- those pronouns, while you might not like them at school, we l- must love them as we're studying God's word. Okay? All right, the seventh observation. Let me get back here. <clears throat> Number seven. Now, this is more um, detail, but it's very, very critical. Um, the if statements there that appear, which are four times in this particular statement, is a first-class conditional clause. You're like, oh my goodness, that, that's way too technical. Uh, no, it's not. Not if you want to understand the text, okay? And I want to show you, I can flip back. I've got time to do this. All right. So what a first-class condition is, is you see these little ifs, those little words there, all right? And this one here, if, 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 all right? These if statements in a first-class condition, which these are, are followed by a true statement, In other words, it's if and since. It's true, okay? You could also not only translate it since, but in view of the fact, all right? So So one example would be this. In view of the fact that we died with him, Paul says to Timothy, we shall also live with him. In other words, take it to the bank, make the deposit, it's happening. Now, if you're Paul and you're writing that, you're like, whoo, hallelujah, because you're about to be killed. And if you're Timothy, who we know was martyred as well, you go, thank you, Lord. These aren't if and maybe statements. These are if and yeah, baby, they are absolutely true. All right, you can take it to the bank. So these conditional clauses aren't conditions like, well, they might be true, but if and since they are, okay? That's very, very important. I know that's a lot of technical information, and if you didn't like that, you'll get over it. This is very, very important to study this text, to understand those clauses, all right? Or if and since. I had it down for you in case some of you 
or taking notes and you didn't get to it. You see there, it says the if that occur that appears four times in the is a first class conditional clause that can be translated since or in view of the fact. And that's how you need to read those phrases. In view of the fact we have died with him, we shall also live with him. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's not like, I wonder if this is going to happen. It's going to happen. If we've died with him, we will live with him. Okay? Which leads us to the first promise that's given to us here in the text. All right? Look what it says. Here's the first promise. And I labeled them promises because they're promises. All right? This is what the Lord has said through, excuse me, through the Apostle Paul. Look at the first promise. For if or since, it would better be read this way, for since we died with him, so Paul's making a statement of fact to Timothy, since we died with him, we shall also live with him. So it leads to this question, which deserves and demands your attention. Have you died? Have you died? This is not a trick question. Have you died? Now, if you're uncertain... You're a believer, get certain. You have died. Okay? I'm not talking about physical death. Now, I will be fair that some theologians, when they look at this statement here, some have said that Paul is talking about physical death. But you can't do that. I respect these guys, and while it's true, if you die with Christ, you're going to live with him. All right? Physical death, that could be it. But the verb won't allow you to do that. Okay, you see that verb right there, died? It won't allow you to do that. He's talking about, he's not talking about physical death. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritually being identified with Christ in his death. That's what he's talking about. Okay, and you know that because of this verb. That's why I study like I do. That verb takes you back to a specific time. In other words, Paul's saying to Timothy, we died with him. He's not saying we're going to die with him. He's saying we already have. It's an aorist tense which points back to a specific time. Well, when did the believer die with Christ? Isn't that a good question? If we're talking about past tense, it's a very good question. So I'm glad you asked the question. <clears throat> All right? I put it in a statement here. Paul's declaring that he and Timothy has died. And if you're born again as a Christian, you've died. And the Bible is clear that that's taken place. All right? Look what it says here. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we have, now if we have and that word there, if, is since. First class condition. For since we have died with Christ, Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Paul says it a different way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Many of you are probably familiar with this verse. I have been what? crucified with Christ. Colossians chapter 2 says, since you have died with Christ, first class condition, since you have died with Christ. So he's making a statement of fact. Then you come to Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 and he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You want to talk about a great eternal security verse? There it is right there. Huh. For the believer, listen, you have died with Christ. And what does it say? Your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Who can take you out of that? Answer? Nobody. 
So you know what we should be doing? Hallelujah. Nobody can move me from that. I think that's one of the most overlooked eternal security verses that there is in the Bible. Right there. You've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. In commenting on dying with Christ and kind of how that, what that means, John Walford put it this way. He says, Our death with Christ is the believer's spiritual identification with him. So when Christ died, we died. Okay? That's what he's saying. Our death with Christ took place, he says, at salvation. Our death with Christ is a death, and this is very important, it's a death to the old self. Do you remember what the old self was like before Christ? How many of you may be saved at a later age? You remember what that was, right? The old ways, the sinful life. And this is a very important statement Walford makes. While sin is present in the redeemed. How many of you know that sin is present in your life? Okay, all of us admit that, right? I mean, okay, it's just present. In fact, I'll tell you in just a minute about that. While sin is present in the redeemed, it is no longer master. You remember before Christ, you were dominated by sin, right? You were excluded from God. You were in complete, what, darkness, okay? And Paul says it really well here. In Romans chapter 6. And I would encourage you today to read through that Romans 6 passage. That can be part of your assignment. Look what he says. Our old self was what? Crucified with him. Wow, hold on a second. I remember somebody making a statement like that. The apostle Paul did later in Galatians. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives through me. All right, so he says here in Romans 6, our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. You know what the unredeemed man might say to us if they were, if we were to kind of talk about this? <laughs> they would go, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, have you heard pagans say, I'm not a bad guy. I'm pretty good. In fact, they're pretty good. She's pretty good. He's pretty good. What does Paul say in Romans? At the end of the dissertation on sin in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, about man. For what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us in this room have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All right, so he says then in verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Whew! Isn't that good? Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Albert Barnes, in commenting on this, um, says this, the words of the apostle are not pointing to a perfect Christian, which I might add this, that there seems to be a little movement toward that today in terms of sanctification. This side of glory, we are not going to be perfect in our sanctification. Do you understand that? And the only reason we have a perfect standing before God is because of what? Christ, who has covered us with his righteousness. That is very, very important to understand. But there seems to be a movement among some of my friends today that somehow on this earth... We are going to attain to perfection. 
And that's why they wrestle with that part of verse 12. It says, if we deny him, he will deny us. They're like, oh, hold on a second. But believers do that. Notice what Barnes says. He says, the words of the apostle are not pointing to a perfect Christian, but they are pointing to the fact that sin has ceased to have dominion over him. Hey, guys, when you came to Christ, do you realize that the Lord came to dwell in you? The Spirit of the living God resides in you. And sin is no longer a master in your life. But do we sin? Yeah, we sin. And can we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Answer, yes. Why do you think Paul tells uh, the Ephesian believers, do not grieve the Spirit? Because they were what? Grieving the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? Just look in that list around verse 30 in Ephesians 4, and you'll see there's all kinds of sin. He goes on. Uh, in fact, you'll find that if you go to Romans chapter 7, you know what Paul's doing in Romans 7? He's like, hold on, I've been justified. And then he's talking about this life of sanctification. He's like, hold on a second. He said, the very things that I don't want to do, I find myself what? Doing them. I mean, how many of you, let's be honest, have said, not doing that anymore? Any of you? Just me? And then... Five minutes later, or 10 minutes later, or 15 minutes later, or 20 minutes later, maybe not even a whole 24-hour period, we're like, oh my goodness. You know what I think that does? It reminds us of the grace of the Lord. And Paul's conclusion in all that, as you come to the end of chapter 7 and come to chapter 8, he says in chapter 7, oh wretched man that I am. In other words, he's like, he, remember, he's already justified. He's already talked about that salvation piece. And now he's in the sanctification piece, and he's going, oh, my goodness gracious. I think what he's doing is he's just experiencing the grace of the Lord and going, oh, my goodness, Lord, but I'm a wretched guy. In fact, what does he say? I'm the chief of sinners. But then in chapter 8, verse 1, he goes, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ. Man, he must have been wiping that brow about that time going, man, I might be wretched, but I'm thankful I am not condemned. That's what Barnes says. He says, that dominion may be broken so that the Christian may not be a slave to sin, and yet he is fully aware of the many failings and imperfections still present in day-to-day living, and so are we. We're fully aware. We're thankful for for forgiveness and we're thankful for grace. So Paul says to Timothy and to all believers, because we have died with him, notice the second part, you gotta love this, we shall what? Also live with him. Woo! You should be standing up. You You wanna know why? Because this living with him We don't talk about it enough and not in this particular fashion with which Scripture speaks to it. Now, I'm going to explain that. First of all, I want you to notice that that shall is future tense. We shall live with Him. When are we going to live with Him? Class, to be absent from the body is to be what? 
present with the Lord. But we also know there's a future time coming where we are going to be with him forever. Always with the Lord. I love the sensitivity of our Savior. You remember in John chapter uh, chapter 13, he tells the disciples, he says, look, where I'm going, you can't come now. You remember that statement he makes? And Peter's like, hey, 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 hey. You know, I'm the man. Hold on a second, Lord. And we know that the Lord tells Peter he was going to do what three times? Uh Uh-oh, there's that word. He's going to do what? Deny him three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. So you get to chapter 14, and man, it was just like, whew. They've been just given this news. Hey, he's leaving, and, and, and we can't go with him. Not right now. But then he also tells them where I'm going, you can come later. And then he elaborates on that in chapter 14. And that's why he tells them, hey, don't be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> I got, in other words, he's, in our language, it's like, I got this. Don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. Wouldn't it be nice if we would remember as we're walking through life the phrase, hey, he's got this, right? He's got it, no matter what we're going through. Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 14, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to what? What does that say? What does the word say? To what? Myself. Guys, I don't want you to hear this wrong. I'm looking forward to being in the presence of my mother one day. It's going to be awesome. I've got grandparents up there who know the Lord. I've got friends up there who know the Lord. I've got believers here that I've done their funerals. I, I, love, I can't wait to see Robert Harper again. You know, I miss Robert. He's a friend. I miss Robert. I miss John and Mary Talana. Some of you guys will know them, and some of you won't. There's just so many. In fact, I have a folder. I was telling the first service, I've got a folder in my office that has all the cards of the funerals I've ever done. It's a pretty big folder. And I'm going to look forward to seeing those guys. Don't get me wrong. But heaven is about Christ. Is that okay with you? Even if it's not, it's just the way it is. Heaven is about Christ. All these other things, yes, they're blessings, but the centerpiece of heaven is not something, but someone. It's Christ. And that's why, right? That's why it says there, I'm going to receive you to myself. (laughs) By the way, if you're looking for something better than that, there's nothing better than that. Nothing. Nothing. Listen to me, young people. I told you, you know, you're looking for whatever is best out there in the world. It isn't out there. Are you listening to me? It's right there. When you are in the presence of the Lord. And notice what he says. That where I am, there what? You may be... Man, you talk about security for those guys. Did they fully recognize that statement then? I don't think so. But they came to understand it. How do you know? Read Acts. Man, they are preaching the gospel. And they're looking forward to that time where they can be with their Savior. I look at this passage and I go, Lord, you are so sensitive to us that don't deserve it. Thank you so much for telling us what you've told us. And you know what? 
There's even more about this future promise. And that's great stuff. And this is great stuff too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend. I like that. You know what that phrase tells me? I serve a personal God. He's coming to get me. How about that? He's coming to get you, if you know him. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, Robert Harper, will rise first. Wow, what a scene that's going to be. <laughs> How are they going to explain that on the news? The dead in Christ will rise first. Not maybe, not we hope so, but it's going to happen. Then we, notice that little pronoun we, then we. So what's Paul thinking? Hey, I'm going to be there. That's what he's thinking. And isn't that what every generation hopes? Yes, that's what you're hoping. That's certainly what I'm hoping, right? I mean, death is a mystery. I believe it because I see it. But I'm good with the Lord coming to get me right now. How about you? And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Who's them? The dead in Christ. And the dead in Christ, the phrase in Christ refers to the church. It's a distinctive phrase referring to the church age. Okay? The dead in Christ, those in the church, will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So he's not coming to earth at this time. He will, and that's during the millennial kingdom. All right? But not now. It says... To meet the Lord in the air. That sounds really cool, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound cool? It sounds cool. I mean, they're wanting to go to Mars now. I'm thinking, man, one day my Lord's going to take me right through all that stuff. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how that's going to look. I just know what the Bible says. The dead in Christ are going to rise, and I'm going to. Now, look at this. And this is a very, very important statement. Look what he says. And so we shall... What's that next word? Always be with the Lord. That's good stuff. And then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. You want to comfort a believer? Read them that. There's the comfort. Forever we will always be with the Lord. Listen. Listen. We can't even tell our kids we'll always be with them. Nor do we always want to be with them, right? Our grandkids, that's a different ballgame. I've got grandkids, I love them. But I, one thing is nice about having grandkids, you can send them home. Much as we love our families, listen to me, we're not always in their presence. And this is difficult to imagine, but the Bible says we will always be in the presence of the Lord. Man, does it get better than that? I mean, that's good stuff. So this promise is given by the Lord through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and the promise is this. If we have died with him, we will also be with him forever. You say, well, that, when does eternal life start? There? Answer, no. 
Say, hold on a second. I got to read you a couple of verses. You don't need to turn. But I want to give you what the book says about this eternal life. It's very, very important. Listen to what the Bible says. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That word has is present tense. In other words, when you believe, you got it. You're not waiting to get eternal life. And by the way, the unbeliever is going to have eternal life. They're going to live too, eternally away from the Lord. Well, there's another passage in John chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is... Excuse me, verse 24, I'm sorry. I said 25, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Present tense. Did you hear that? He who hears my word... And believes him who sent me has it. When do they have it? The moment they believe. So if you're a believer today, I've got great news for you. The Bible tells us here in 2 Timothy, if we have died with him, we have eternal life now, and one day we're going to be in his presence, face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer in talking about heaven, said this, I once heard a theologian describe it as an unknown place with a well-known inhabitant. Packer went on to say, there is not a better way to think of it than that. My knowledge of that, he says, is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all and I shall be with him. Then he closes this way. To those who know the Lord Jesus, the prospect of meeting him face to face in all his glory and being with him forever is the hope that keeps us going. Are you listening to me? It's the hope that keeps us going. What did Paul say to Timothy? He says, Pistos halogos, faithful the word, if and since we died with him, we shall also live with him. I must ask you the question before we leave today. Do you know that you'll be with him? Young people, don't walk out of the room going, well, you know, one day I'll believe that stuff like when I'm on my deathbed. Or You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know. You've not been promised another second, another minute, another hour. I remember being young thinking, man, I got my whole life. It almost ended last year. I would have been fine with that. I'd have been with the Lord. But you know what it reminded me of as I laid there on that hospital bed waiting to have my chest cracked open? I thought, you know, Lord, it sure is nice to know that if they mess up when they get all in there, I'm going to be with you. 
I was talking to somebody recently about their teenagers. And I've had many conversations with parents about their teenagers. And parents like to talk about their teenagers, especially when the teens are starting to drive. My advice is buy the biggest car you can because they're going to have a wreck. It's going to happen. Do you know that when your child gets in that car and starts it up, you can't control what's going to happen? Can you, parents? No. You don't know. I've thought, how many people each day get up in the morning, get dressed, go to work, go to school, but they never come home? And their life ends that day. Several thousand. I think I heard the statistic that 40,000 people a year die in automobile accidents. That's a lot of people. Guys, you're not promised tomorrow, and I'm not either. But I know for a fact that when I close my eyes in death, I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know? Do you know that you know? Let's pray together. Lord, it's quite a statement that you make through Paul to Timothy. For if we have died with him, meaning Christ, we shall also live with him. It's not maybe, we will. We will live with our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I don't know everybody in this room um, well. I know some well, but I don't know everybody in this room well, but I just feel very burdened right now in the last few moments just for people in here who might not know you. I know the world looks at the message and they think we're fools. I just want to thank you, first of all, for opening my eyes to the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for my sins according to the scriptures. He paid a price that no one else could pay. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we know it's valid. It happened. And one day, Lord, all of us in this room, unless you come, we're going to die. And the question becomes, how will we die? Will we die in Christ, knowing that we belong to him and forever be with him, as your word says? Or will some die in this room not knowing the Lord? Not having that personal relationship. One of the things that is always, when I came to know you as I've grown in you, just, it, just, it just blows me away, Lord, that you want to fellowship with me. But I want to thank you that you do, and I thank you that fellowship is made possible through Christ the Lord who shed his blood for every single person on this earth. I pray if there's one in here today that does not know you, that they would confess that they need you as their Savior. They would acknowledge that you've died for their sins and then they would trust you 
for salvation. And Lord, that they would live for you. And if there's people in here today that just need to get that new start, that know you, I pray that maybe this statement, as we're studying through the statement, this statement could be um, one in which would penetrate their hearts and lives and, and just be able to see, for all of us, be able to see that, Lord, we are simply passing through this life, that our citizenship is in heaven with you. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we become a believer, well, God's not finished with us yet, by that, by all means. Yesterday, or this last week, I was looking at a a film. I was looking. I was looking at a video for the service today to be used, and ran across one that just caught my eye. And you've seen it many, many times. It was a video of um, of hands fashioning a uh, a pot, you know, clay. There's a, it starts off with just this big dry hunk of clay, and several stages has to go through. First, it has to be, you know, washed down, or it needs to be wetted and softened. That big hunk hunk of clay has to be softened and then as it starts spinning those the strong hands has to kind of start squeezing to start shaping that and molding it into what into something useful and they can get it that way and they're squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and it begins to start looking like something and it can become useful but yet it's it's nowhere close because like along, along the top it's real wavy and all that you know so then those strong hands, they start lightly touching it, just lightly touching it, smoothing it all down. And it becomes more and more what the master wants, more and more. And it becomes a beautiful pot, very useful. The shape is perfect. The shape is perfect. But then to make it, to make it as beautiful as it can be, he takes a little knife and he starts cutting into it just a little bit, making those beautiful little designs that's going to make it into the, that thing of beauty that he wants it to be. The potter's hand, he starts taking it. And I think about that knife, and it, it might kind of bother us a little bit, sting just a little bit, but yet it makes us what we need to be. And that's what this song is about. It's the potter's hand, and I think we've done it before. So if you know it, sing along with us. Um, but let's just think about how God is molding us into who we need to be. Beautiful Lord, wonderful Savior, I know for sure All of my days are held in your hands Crafted into your perfect plan You gently call me into your presence Guiding me by your Holy Spirit, teach me, dear Lord, to live all of my life through your eyes. I'm captured by your holy calling, 
set me apart. I know you're drawing me to yourself. Teach me, Lord, I pray. Take me, mold me, use me, fill me. I give my life to the potter's hand. Call me, guide me, lead me, walk beside me. I give my life to the potter's hand. Beautiful Lord, Wonderful Savior, I know for sure. All of my days are held in your hand, crafted into your perfect plan. You gently call me into your presence, guiding me by. Your Holy Spirit, teach me, dear Lord, to live all of my life through your eyes. I'm captured by your holy calling. Set me apart. I know you're drawing me to yourself. Lead me, Lord, I pray. Take me, mold me, Use me, fill me, I give my life to the potter's hand. Call me, guide me, lead me, walk beside me, I give my life to the potter's hand. Take me, mold me, use me, fill me. I give my life to the potter's hand. Call me, guide me, lead me, walk beside me. I give my life to the potter's hand. Appreciate your ministry. Thank you for explaining that kind of how that works and you know we are to be pliable and allow the Lord to to shape us and mold us the way that he desires us to be and uh, I hope that as you leave today you know without a doubt that you belong to the Savior and you can identify with that promise that Paul made to Timothy and us as well that know Christ You are dismissed.